starts off pretty funny with we can't let him go to the boys' school because the boys are monsters and they will literally torture him to death. So he's gonna have to come to the all-girls school. And no one ever questions this. Everyone just looks at him and is like, well, that makes sense. Yeah, it, yeah. no one is like, shouldn't he be with the other boys? Like, no, he's not a boy. He's not us. He's <laughs> not a, you know, he's James. He's English. Ugh. Well, anyway, since we're, we're, we hate the English, I guess we're talking about other media, nerd stuff, whatever. I don't know. That was the sloppiest transition ever into the Big Bang Theory Theory. Hi, I'm Nick. I'm Kyle. And uh, this is a show where, obviously, sometimes we watch other shows, but mostly you watch the television series The Big Bang Theory. And uh, every two weeks, we, we watch an episode, we try to figure out what silver linings what saving graces it has that make it worthwhile and then we just shit on it and people write us bad reviews and hey guess what that's fine that's part of the process i i I accept it all right Um, i was i was trying to explain to my family over thanksgiving like well i was just i was summarizing i was like yeah we really tactically misstepped we made a podcast about the big bang theory which it turns out was a good move because it's a popular show we thought that our audience would mostly consist of ironic hipsters who wanted to hate on the show with us and we were wrong about that so we're in a weird place you know i think about it and it's i was gonna say it's weird that our audience uh likes us in spite of us actively being shitty then I was like, no, that describes every relationship I have. That's like, <laughs> uh, like there's no one I'm good to that I've earned as a friend or anything. Everyone's just like, God, you're a son of a bitch, but there's something about you. Yeah. And they all understand. We're not giving our, we're not doing our best. We're not giving a hundred percent to this. No, no. But what would, what would that be to give 100% to picking apart the Big Bang Theory? I think... I think we'd be even more upsettingly close to the kinds of people that are on the show if we got real, real nitty gritty about it or took it. I agree. Well, anywho, I guess we should actually talk about the show. So uh, let's dive right in. This is uh, week is we're watching season five, episode 16, officially titled The Vacation Solution. Spoiler alert. No vacation happens. Not at all. No, no other set was used. No uh, no, no new location, nothing. Anywho, uh, anything that we should talk about before I give this short summary, Kyle? Uh, no, I will go ahead and summarize it first. I'll give this Ooh. one like a one out of thirteen. This was such a boring oh. episode. I was so bored. Oh, I Kyle. hated every moment of it. We are again in stark contrast. I am giving this, I would say, at least a six. I'm going to say seven out of thirteen, and I am not going to say that I like. I did not love this episode. Not at all. Uh, But I was not bored. I felt like, oh, this is like the most medium plus good episode of TV you could have. This is competent plus half a point to get it over that midway. (laughs) Well, I look forward to figuring out why we can never be together on anything. But let's see what happens. Um, So... Like I said, season five, episode 16, The Vacation Solution. And uh, it starts with Sheldon and the gang at the cafeteria, uh, and they're playing physicist Mad Libs, and Sheldon cannot get enough about how funny it is, which I actually thought was kind of adorable. And then uh, I I meant to go back and check who this was, and then I forgot to do it, but the the university president, the department chair, somebody important. No, the university president, he's the... He they call him President Whatever. He's 
you know, he's been on the show before. He's he has. The guy who, yes. He was Will Bailey on the West Wing. But anyway. And, he, and his only job, he's obviously one of the actors on the show who's just picking up the occasional paycheck because even his character is written as someone who doesn't want to be in the scenes that he's in. Yeah. And he, I don't know what this guy is like in other media. I haven't watched The West Wing. I don't know if I've happened to see him in anything else. But in this episode, he is absolutely phoning it in. If that's the theme of today, uh, he is on board because he just shows up and he's like, hey, I got some lines. I got to get through this. There's not any jokes. He doesn't do anything fun or wacky. He just does exposition, which is to tell Sheldon that he has to take a vacation. He does not explain why this is. There is no reason given whatsoever uh, that he, that Sheldon must take a vacation. But that is the situation. I assume it's some sort of like public sector union thing or something. It very well could be. Public sector, but it's just like it's just like the the rules under which he is employed require that everybody get vacation. And it doesn't count if people skip them. Yeah, that's he. He Sheldon makes clear I don't need a vacation, and the president says no, you are taking a vacation. That is the order of the episode. That is the inciting incident. And then Although Sheldon, they're also clear that part of it is. Like it, they're clear that part of what's going on there is just maybe it's not true. Maybe it's not true that everybody has to uh, take a vacation. Maybe Sheldon has just driven so many people crazy that this is the pretext that they're using because they do imply that like several other people have been asking, hey, is that guy ever going to take a few days off? I can tell that you hated this episode because you are now trying to piece it back together into something that makes sense. <laughs> you, you were looking at these very, I think, plausible explanations that are not at all hinted at in the actual episode because it isn't that good. <laughs> no, um, I mean, because there's a recurring joke that is awful about how Sheldon has been leaving suggestion boxes yes. around the... Why am I talking about this? It doesn't matter. You're right. It's not that It's not that well explained. Go on with your goddamn summary. <laughs> but that is part of the bit, yes. And it doesn't go anywhere as Sheldon uh, has been installing suggestion boxes throughout the campus uh, without people's consent, you know, abusing that system. Anywho, uh, yeah, he's ordered to take a vacation. And then he proceeds to not take a vacation. Uh, it's kind of confusing to me what actually happens. It's... You cut to the next day. Leonard is driving around in his car, jamming out to the Black Eyed Peas, which uh, that group has been creeping back up and like through my brainstem lately. And I'm so mad that they came up in this episode. Uh, but anyway, it's fine. And then um, out of nowhere, what? It's Sheldon. He gets up out of the back seat. What's he doing there? Uh, a little unclear. He's hiding from vacation. He has a disguise so we can go back to the campus. They don't actually do that, though. I thought that would be kind of fun. It doesn't happen. And then we cut to <laughs> the ladies are back in the episode. This I was actually excited about. We don't get enough of the ladies doing anything. But uh, the, <laughs> this is actually, you know, it just kind of like washed over me as I was watching it. Now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, oh, this is some heavy stuff. <laughs> because Bernadette is chit-chatting about the wedding. And then she's like, hey, guess what? My dad, who now exists, I don't know if he's ever come up before, but my dad is insisting I get a prenup uh, with Wallowitz because I make more money than Wallowitz. And so obviously a prenup has to happen. And everyone is like, okay, that's fine. We have no opinion on this, but we're going to gossip to everyone else in the circle until it eventually gets to Wallowitz. Um, and then I will jump to the end of the episode. Uh, 
that, that that's what happens. They gossip around throughout the episode, and at the end, Wallowitz and Bernadette are in a car together, uh, and he's like, you know what? I'm gonna conf- I don't want to sign a prenup. I'm gonna confront your dad. And Bernadette's like, hey, by the way, have I mentioned he is an unhinged ex cop right wing lunatic that will murder you? Anti semite. Anti semite. Yes, I, I I they they specifically say anti semitic. I was going to put white supremacist in my notes, but yeah. Um, so that's fun. That's what Wallowitz has to look forward to. Um, meanwhile, back in main plot, Sheldon decides that as part of escaping vacation, because he just won't do it, is he goes to Amy's lab. He thinks he's going to be helpful for her. She points out, hey, you're not a biologist. Here are some menial tasks you can take care of for now. And he gets super huffy about it. Uh, and then he insists that he can remove this very particular part of the brain that Amy was going to remove. Uh, and when he can't do it, he gets huffy and they, they argue and he storms off. But later, uh, he ends up meeting Sh- uh, Wallowitz at the bar. That he left out the part where he, he, acts, he cuts his finger open and passes out at the sight of blood. That is important. And I did totally forget that. That's how the scene ends. Yes, is... Uh, in trying to remove the specific part of the brain, uh, he asks, oh, is it supposed to bleed that much? And Amy says, oh, no, it's not, but your thumb is. And he, yeah, faints at the sight of his own blood. Uh, and so he and Wallowitz, both independently but feeling defeated, end up at the uh, Cheesecake Factory bar. And Penny comes up and kind of uh, just ends the episode in a way. Because... Wallowitz is struggling with whether to do this prenup thing. Sheldon is like, ah, my dignity, my pride. Penny shows up and is like, hey, Wallowitz, you're being a little bitch. Sign the prenup. You're never going to find anyone better, so you better just do it. And then goes to Sheldon and is like, hey, and you? Also a little bitch. You faint at the sight of your own blood, and then he faints again. And then they go and make up with their partners, and that's the end of it. Oh, you know what? I think I realized also part of the reason I like this episode maybe more than you did because we, I think, have a little a, a fundamental disagreement on how much either of us can tolerate Leonard. This was a very Leonard Sparse episode, and I, that looking back true. now, I'm thankful for that. It's not in it much. Yeah. And I'm not going to say that Leonard ruins other episodes, but now that I, I reflect and realize his presence was lacking, I do appreciate it. So, ah, little break. Uh, anyway, are there any plot stuff that we you want to throw in there before we, we start tackling this this fat pig no okay well with that oh this isn't related to the episode at all let's take a little break from that (laughs) uh my worlds are bleeding together i'm watching curb your enthusiasm the new episodes and uh kaylee cuoco shows up uh she plays an optometrist and at first i was like son of a bitch but then you know what she's fun and charming she's she's a delight uh you know it's She's in and out. Who knows how she would last in the series. But it was nice to see that removed from the show. I'm like, oh, just I can I can enjoy this. She's she's a nice actor lady. So hooray. Now, as for this episode, not plot specific, but something they do make an obvious weird joke about is there. Oh, there's a scene. I skipped over this. The, the Wallowitz is hanging out with all the bros and they're trying, no, sorry, Sheldon is, and they're, they're all suggesting vacations for Sheldon to take. Uh, and then 
Raj suggests uh, that he get a massage from, I don't know, some guy, Victor, whatever, because uh, doing so would make it feel like you were born without bones. And then Wallowitz is immediately like, oh, I don't know if I can get a massage from a guy. Uh, To which Raj says, oh, but you're totally fine with whatever I was doing to your shoulders while you were playing Halo. And this is a confusing exchange for me. (laughs) Like, Raj, like goes out of his way to bring up a, like a gay panic joke that is immediately dismantled by by Raj. Where does that Raj? I don't think it affects him one way or the other, but yeah, it does it, make Wallowitz look like kind of a hypocrite too. And he the facial expression he makes when Raj brings it up, like like I couldn't tell if that was supposed to be. Oh, I hadn't really considered that. Maybe I do feel a certain erotic joy when another right. man touches my neck or maybe it was uh how dare you tell everyone about our secret shame i couldn't read it could have been either one yeah it's uh maybe i doubt it but maybe this is a new like deep thread that will weave its way throughout the remaining episodes that we can follow that wallow it's in raj though it probably never works out they do you know kind of flirt with a like oh what if we did you know why not why not? That would be a fun thing. Um, that was the only thing I ever liked. Well, I shouldn't say I was way too, and we don't have to talk about that. But one of the first things that I ever really liked about Glee, aside from, you know, the fact that they're doing all the singing, is there was a running, <laughs> there was a running joke that all of the lesbian, all of the cheerleaders were secretly lesbians with each other. And you're like, they're never actually going to go anywhere with this. But then like two seasons in, it was like, oh no, they're dating now. Nice. I was like, that's kind of, I appreciate you having the courage of your convictions on that one, Ryan Murphy. Well, I'm glad they at least committed to that. I, the most experience I have with that show, researching a law project about uh, copyright infringement when they stole Jonathan Colton's version of Baby Got Back. Yes, um, I know. <sighs> we- <sighs> Alas. Um, yeah. Oh, also, uh, another very specific thing that uh this this made me think of i don't think i've mentioned on the podcast yet it's a mystery i've never solved um in this episode one of the ways that sheldon when he's with amy is trying to prove uh that he is indeed an incredible uh intellectual and and scientist and, and worker is that he he pulls out a Tamagotchi and he says, I've kept this alive since like, I don't know, 1996 or whatever. Some ridiculous period. Uh, and that's kind of funny, not really whatever. It reminded me, about six months ago, I got an, a mysterious package that had uh, a bunch of Mahjong tiles in it, some religious tracts, like chick tracts, and uh, a Tamagotchi. Uh, and I still have no idea who sent it to me. I have no idea what it was about. It was, it was directed to me. It was not a... When did you get it? About six months ago. I don't know either. It wasn't me. I mean, any number of witchcrafts could have been happening. And I like, but I'm a little uncomfortable with the fact that I'm at a period in my life where, like, I am at risk of witchcraft. Like, I cannot rule out that someone might be doing, like, bad spells to me. Oh, yeah. I mean, definitely. If I were going to, I mean, if I were going to rank my friends, but most likely to accidentally get, like, have their soul stolen by a coven, you would be right at the top. I mean, Chloe is most likely to be in a coven, but sure. she knows what she's doing. 
Yeah. Which actually, the, her 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 proximity to witchcraft is part one of the reasons why you're so high up on the list, buddy. Well, yeah, and that's a concern because, like, hey, everyone, prior guest Chloe is, you know, she's like a good-hearted nature witch or whatever. But, you know, I so long as I'm under good graces, we'll see what horrible curses and hexes could befall me otherwise. Oh, I'm starting to take back my rating. Because like, this is... They talk you out of like, like you haven't talked me out of it, but like... I'm like, wait a second, I'm like actively not talking about the episode. That isn't a good sign. We've done that before, and it's been when nothing interesting happened in the episode. Because <laughs> yeah, like so, I, I immediately jumped to the two things that stood out the most to me. But I don't know. Like thinking back on it, like I couldn't tell you a good joke in this episode. I could like I feel like it was very substantive plot wise um a lot got done but what got wait i mean literally half the episode is about how sheldon doesn't want to do anything different from what he does every week and then it's over well that is half the episode i'm I'm thinking mostly about the wallowitz bernadette stuff but to trump up the, the sheldon thing hey in the end he does go back and apologize to amy who demands a real apology from him and maybe that's uh, growth that maybe. is true it is it is very rare that we- yeah uh it's good that uh he's got amy there to keep him in so hooray that feels like another old person to say oh old person thing to say is like hey two people in a relationship good thing one of you is the boss of this but ah <sighs> well i don't know kyle tell me something that you thought was intriguing or concerning or just gosh darn fantastic about this episode i feel like you're baiting me because i've already been on the let's see uh okay i'll give you this one at the very beginning of the episode when they're talking about how to i can't remember how this conversation flows probably because it doesn't starts (laughs) off by starts off by penny telling Bernadette, that if she wants Wallowitz to uh, handle oh. the bad news with Grace, she should give him the be- news that she wants a prenup right after sleeping with him. Yes. Because that she always tells people bad news in bed. And it always she's like, that's how. And then she says, that's how I told my boy- high school boyfriend I was sleeping with his brother. That's also how I told his brother. That was and good. That's a good line. And then right after that, Bernadette is like, I don't feel comfortable using sex that way. And. And, and Penny's like, but that's what sex is for. It's just doubling down on the joke that Penny is an unrepentant sexual sociopath, which is yeah. frankly a side of her I feel like we don't see enough anymore. Um, that was big. That was something that uh, I I really noted but glossed over in my no- – that was such a stupid <laughs> sentence. It, it struck me. I didn't take adequate note of it that, yeah, she is absolutely a sociopath. She just – sex is – is to manipulate people. Of course it is. Not a sense of self-awareness or irony about it. <laughs> yes, and then for some reason, I mean, not that surprising, Amy goes off on talking about how this is actually, this all makes sense because marriage inevitably involves financial transactions, and actually back in the day, Bernadette would have probably, you know, because of her good birthing hips or whatever, would have fetched like two two goats and a goose or something like that yes. as a dowry. And then she turns to Penny and says what is probably one of the most goddamn of you, of course, you could have fetched a whole unit. I thought it was weird, but the way that it did seem to genuinely delight Penny warmed my heart. So hooray for that. The, the getting Fetching a unicorn. 
in a financial transaction for your body. Yes. I think I realized something with that. Remember how, like, back in season one, like, just one of the types of recurring jokes they would just do over and over again was the Howard Wallowitz sexually harasses Penny jokes? Yes. And they stopped making those jokes, and I didn't really miss them. I just, they stopped making them. And what I've realized now is that they didn't so much decide they were no longer going to have a character who creepily hits on Penny every episode. They just decided it would be one of her, it would be a girl character, and that's like half of Amy's job, and now it's fine. That is 100% true, and I hadn't thought about it at all. Yeah, it's like bringing in Bernadette was a good move because it toned down the yuckiest part of the show, which was, yeah, Wallowitz being in unrepentant unwanted horn dog but yeah amy totally fulfilled that role but it's because penny never takes it seriously it's totally cute amy's often seems pretty serious about her advances but yeah the fact that penny deflects them it's just adorable all of us <sighs> you know i hate to say it but this isn't the first time today i've been thinking about men's rights and oh. <laughs> <laughs> No, 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 no. Well, Kyle, you know what? Oh, last thing okay. before we move on. In that same bit where he's sneaking in, as you mentioned, he just he thinks uh, Sheldon thinks he's going to disguise himself to go back to work. Yes. Um, and so his disguise is basically a baseball cap that, with a wig underneath it that makes him essentially look like Joe Dirt. And all I can say is. I like Sheldon with the stupid haircut and the baseball cap. I kind of, you know, in the terms of improbable things, if this episode had just been like, no, he's not taking that off for the rest of this episode, maybe he's never taking it off again. Maybe in like two seasons, he's still going to have that baseball cap and that long hair streaming down his shoulders, and the audience isn't even going to know it's a wig anymore. They're just going to think that that's part of who he is. Maybe they'll lampshade it at some point. Like, did you actually grow your hair out or is that still the wig? And Sheldon's like, I don't even know. This is just who I am. This is what feels right to me. Kyle, I, I had a thought based a contrary thought. The first thought was, I can't explain why, but what you're describing immediately makes me like Sheldon so much more. If, <laughs> right? if Sheldon just had the, the, the longer kind of greasy wavy hair and a hat on, I can't say why. I'm not ready to say why, but... Uh, yeah, 100%. I like him more. And then the contrary thought is, what if I only like him more? Because that means he's a little bit... Yeah, I think that, I mean, because the most obnoxious thing about Sheldon, right, is his pretentiousness. If Sheldon were exactly the same character, but like a re an actual redneck, I mean, he's from Texas. If he were actually like a redneck from the sticks of Texas, and he just happened to be a super genius who was obsessed with science, he would be a mu such a better character. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if he was just like, well, all shucks, Leonard. I know it's not your fault because you are just a practical physicist and not a theoretical physicist like me. But yeah. gosh darn, you sure forget to carry your ones a lot when you do the when you do the advanced multiplication, and it does make me giggle. <laughs> that would rule. And if he's like cooking up big pots of <laughs> barbecue and beans and bareback fucking ladies after karaoke, all that stuff. In the science lab with, like, beakers and shit. Ah, oh, give us redneck Sheldon. That's the Sheldon we deserve. This is... is What is it when you continue to intentionally inflict harm on yourself uh, 
in spite of the fact that you fantasize about other, you start fantasizing about other ways you could inflict that harm. <laughs> like, like we can't get out of watching the Big Bang Theory. There's no way around it. But oh, what if Sheldon were a redneck? That would, <laughs> that would, that would be like moving up a little bit closer to to Earth from one of the lower levels of hell. We can dream. We can dream. <laughs> that's that's. I don't know. We have zero influence on any part of the internet, but someone has to make redneck Sheldon happen. No, I think that's, you know how, like, Doogie Hauser like, was just like, oh, what if a kid was a doctor? It's sort of like that. What if a redneck was smart? Like, really smart. Well, but your Doogie Hauser scenario, they do kind of already have that show, and it's Young Sheldon, which Richard Dawkins now officially enjoys. <laughs> he treated... As if we didn't need enough reasons to, as if we needed more reasons to hate him. I know, right? Like, I remember uh, in Yield Day reading... I don't know, the selfish gene or something and being like, oh shit, this is pretty cool. But in spite of that, God, you can't just help yourself from being a dildo, can you, Richard? No, you just have to, you have to be like, oh, I've got all these really fantastic ideas and I'm just a dildo. Ah, But yeah, young Sheldon, I don't know. And that's me prejudging uh, young Sheldon. It could be great. That's not fair for not yet anyway. Kyle, anything else about this episode of regular age Sheldon? Nope, I'm done. All right, let's move, let's move past this hellscape. I retroactively give this a 5 out of 13. I still can't go as low as you did, but uh, it did lose points. So now, everyone, we get to the part of the show that everyone uh, inarguably enjoys better, but we still make you earn it, you filthy dogs, uh, which is where we recommend something uh, instead of or in addition to the Big Bang Theory. And... I worry that mine is a re-recommend this week, but I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> do you have something loaded or shall I start? No, please go ahead. All right. I'm recommending a video game that I started replaying. And the reason I'm not confident it's a re-recommend is because I wasn't crazy about it the first time I played it. I'm replaying near Automata. And the reason I feel differently about it now... This might sound mean, but it's true, is that this time when I played it, I had lower expectations. And that way, whoo, it goes down so much smoother. Because <laughs> uh, here's the thing. This game came out about four years ago, um, almost five years ago. And uh, everyone at the time was like, oh, it's mind-blowing. It's incredible. You're going to love it. This is incredible. Like, the, the existential uh, action RPG. And uh, it was uh, developed by Platinum Games who uh, are very, very highly regarded in my heart as the creators of Bayonetta, which I think is like the best action game there is. And so to know that they'd produced it and it was like a Square Enix thing and oh, it was all incredible. And then I play it and boy, the gameplay is just fine. It's serviceable um, and it made me really mad at the time. But now that I've let that go... I can enjoy what the game is really about, which is having a bunch of robots wandering around wondering why they're alive. That's what makes the game fun and interesting. It's uh, It's been long enough that I think this would be a spoiler at the time. I don't care anymore. But the basic premise of the game is that uh, you are an android uh, named 9S and that you are uh, basically a warrior uh, created by humans. A warrior with just a fantastic butt. 
Yes, that is, it's still platinum games. The characters are still very butt-centric. Um, but yeah, you, you're an android. Androids were all created by humans to fight against the machines. Uh, the machines were created by the aliens to fight against the humans. So on the far ends, you got the humans and the aliens. And then the ones actually fighting are the machines and the androids. And they've been fighting for so long that no one can really remember the last time either side heard from the humans or the aliens. <laughs> and so you've got these two, um, I don't know, I'll call them races, I guess, uh, species, whatever, of, of war machines that are kind of left in an... They're just left behind in a world without purpose. <laughs> and so they're just wandering around every character at some point going like, what, what the fuck am I doing? Like... I've been fighting forever. Like, that's all I've known. That's what I'm designed for. But why? What? What is the point of this? And so it's, it's like I said, the gameplay is not the best. It's, you beat things up and it's servable, serviceable and it's fun. But, but what it's really about is, yeah, uh, exploring through uh, a bunch of different characters, uh, just different existential crises. And... The, the way you see, because you, you start as the character 2B, <laughs> get it? And you eventually play as a few different other characters after you finish her story. And so you, you play a lot of the same parts of the game over and over again, just from different perspectives. Uh, but they are honestly different enough that it's worth replaying like those parts of the game and seeing uh, what those characters are going through. And like the biggest difference between like the first and second characters, your second character can hack other machines. And so you have to play this hacking mini game, which sometimes like gives you access to the internal feelings and questions of these things that you were just callously destroying on your first playthrough. So that's fun. Um, but yeah, so I now, after reflection, recommend Near Automata on video game systems, wherever those still are. Kyle, your turn. Well, as you know, my go-to move is to recommend obscure tabletop role-playing games. Absolutely. Going to do it again. This week, I am going to recommend the game... Well, first off, I'm just going to tell a heartwarming story about I got my nearly 80-year-old father to sit down with me and my brother and play a game of Dungeons & Dragons, and I, it was... I saw you post a photo of that, and it was the cutest goddamn thing I've ever seen. <laughs> It was great. It also ended in a total party kill, which was nice. <laughs> yes. Um, so the version of Dungeons & Dragons we were playing is actually, is actually what's called a retro clone. I'm not going to... How do I, can I, How fast can I do this? Anyway, there have been a lot of versions of Dungeons & Dragons. Uh, 5e is fine. It's great. There's a reason it's the most popular edition there's ever been, and so many people like it. You, I'm you not here to... like 3.5? No, no, way before that. So there are, there's a weird but niche but very vocal group of people who think that Dungeons & Dragons has never been better than 1st and 2nd edition Dungeons & Dragons back before Wizards of the Coast bought it. The reasons for that are some of it is just they're old and they don't like change, right? But some of it, in their defense, is that modern Dungeons & Dragons, you tend to be like these badass borderline superheroic characters you know, who have all of these incredible feats and stats that really make them different from the NPCs around them. 
And also there are all of these rules about, like, game balance and skill integration that are supposed to make, you know, make it so that you have, like, a real... You're basically always... You you create a character and he's basically the at the center of the story, the hero of the world in which he exists. And then you begin this inevitable march from, like, level 1 to level 20, and by the time you're level 20, you're basically a god. So it's basically, you know... It's it's a little like a movie, and your characters are always the main characters of the movie. That's fine. Older versions of Dungeons & Dragons were a little bit more like arcade video games. They were like, yes, you're a character. Your character, you know... If he pays careful attention to, like, the way the monsters move on screen, then maybe he'll live. But there is nothing really special about him, and he could die at any moment. And so the a lot of the joy is just, like, in the layouts of the dungeons... And, like, the weird monsters and the funny, like, random things that can happen to your character shortly before he meets a gruesome death. So there are people who have missed that, and so there are people who have tried to, like, create versions of Dungeons & Dragons that harken back to that. One of my favorite—there are a lot of them. I'm not going to get into all of them. But my favorite one, currently, is called Dungeon Crawl Classics, which is, again, just a version of Dungeons & Dragons inspired by the original, like— basic slash AD&D rules where you you basically you have you have your character can be a wizard a cleric a thief a fighter an elf a dwarf or a halfling those are your choices and you don't even actually get to start them out at level one you start them at level zero and if they survive and you're supposed to run like four characters at a time because at least half of them are going to die and you know most of your characters never make it past level like three Mm. Um, because the world, you know, but the, that's not the fun. The fun is just the, you know, running into the random adventures and stuff. So anyway, I have a lot to say about that and the way it like integrates, um, random tables and things, but what I was going to, and so I would recommend that, but there's also in the same rule set, they did a, a further adaptation of the rules to show that it could be used for other settings and genres. And they made a game called Mutant Crawl Classics which is basically a cross between classic D&D and another classic game that was made by TSR back before um, everything that Gary Gygax ever made got sold to Wizards of the Coast. And that game was called Gamma World. And the premise of Gamma World was that basically you were like, it, it was a post-apocalyptic, it was Fallout, post-apocalyptic wasteland. That's actually what I was about to ask is like, is this the game that predated GURPS? Yes, it's it's a post-apocalyptic wasteland. You are like a caveman or a mutant, and you're just wandering or wandering around in like this blighted, irradiated landscape full of weird, like psychedelic monsters and ancient technology and laser guns that you don't understand and shit. And so I got the rules for that because it's Black Friday. I went to my local game hobby shop and they had a copy of it on sale. And because I was already really into Dungeon Crawl Classics, I got it, and it is fantastic. It's just it's just fun. It's fun to see like it's very relatable in the sense like it's in many ways it's easier to play and to run than 5th edition cuz again there are no feats. It's just like you roll a d20 and like your characters only have a handful of modifiers, but you know, the characters themselves are very sort of interesting and again because you're not designed to create them from the ground up to be superheroes, they're allowed to be kind of weird and unbalanced. And so like, you know, like one of my favorite examples of this is you can play as humans or one of the one of the possible character classes you could randomly end up with is a mutant. And if you're a mutant, you randomly roll for your mutations, which are basically like they could be anything. Like it could be like you have laser claws or mind control, or you randomly, you know, at will you can grow or shrink 
up to three times your size, you know, all sorts of stuff like that. And every time you take a dose of radiation damage, or anytime you take damage that is radiation-based, of which there's a lot in uh, Mutant Crawl classics, then you re-roll on the table and the chances are you can either lose one of your mutations or you can gain a new mutation. So you're just, just imagine this game where you're wandering around and you're just constantly, like, being shot by, like, you know, gamma rays, and sometimes you grow an extra arm. You're already an ant person or like a tree person, but you know, sometimes you get you get shot with a with a gamma laser by a by a holographic robot, and next thing you know, you're a telepathic plant monster. Well, to to briefly interrupt, this is making me wonder if um the early saga games may have ripped off this idea, or you know, independently thought of it, because one of the uh, mechanics in that game is you, if you have mutant characters, uh, every like few fights or something, there's a random role that will give you any one of a number of completely like random abilities, and so you know they're unpredictable because you could get anything good or bad, uh, and it seems like a direct inspiration from what you're describing. Yeah. I mean, it's possible. And the other thing is there's a bunch of random-ass technology around, and you p- every time you pick something up, it's usually pretty awesome, but you have to roll to understand it. <laughs> so you, you could have, like, a, you know, oh, this is a laser sword that cuts through anything, but, like, if your character is dumb, then he's just never going to be able to figure out how to turn it on. And so some characters, like, some character classes that look weaker on the surface, their whole thing is that they're just better at making roles that tell that figure out how to use ancient technology. Mm. Um, and my favorite, the my other favorite thing about it is instead of having wizards, you have. I wonder if this is culturally inappropriate, but I don't know. You have shaman, and shaman are characters who speak. No, I don't think so. Who speak to their patrons, and the patrons are literally just various like artificial intelligence and satellites. The earth is littered with all of these like integrated, like highly sophisticated, uh, you know artificial intelligence systems that have all kinds of like borderline magical or supernatural powers but you don't understand any of those concepts so to you they're just gods who you speak so you're basically it's like you know it's like if siri controlled the weather and you're like i pray to siri that she spite my enemies with lightning bolts and it's like you know and then that happens because siri you know controls an ancient like uh you know uh homeostasis weather system so you can call down lightning bolts from the bolts from the gods but really you're talking to a machine i'm thinking of another game with another similar thing but i've made enough comparisons already so uh that sounds radical it is it's it's just it's fun it's a very it is i recommend these games because they are both anyone who can who has ever dm'd a game of 5th edition would be smart enough to figure out how to run and play these games and they have a bunch of really cool I would argue there are more cool pre-written modules for these games than there are for 5e because 5e only puts out like one new module a year and the whole idea of these is that you can run like you know you know a 4 hour dungeon it crawl adventure Hence the crawl and the title. They're all built around usually you go to a place, it's filled with monsters and treasure, you try not to die. And so there's like, you know, they publish like one new one like a month. So there's always new adventures and they're always super easy to run. I ran my first one for my brother and my dad. I would highly recommend it for people who want just a slightly different experience of 
playing a game that is similar enough to Dungeons and Dragons that you'll understand it instantly, but sort of gives you a, has a different perspective on what the game was about. If nothing else, it's an interesting history lesson in like how Dungeons and Dragons started versus what it is now. Thanks. And, uh, just one more time, the, the name of the actual system you were using. So the Dungeons & Dragons Retro Clone, based on basic D&D, is called Dungeon Crawl Classics, which is also um, makes a bunch of compatible modules and stuff. And then the sci-fi version, there are a couple of different like sci-fi versions, but the one that I was the most popular and the one that I have is called Mutant Crawl Classics. Well, existential robots and... Sick ass futuristic magitech radicalness. Uh, those are things you should do. Maybe instead of uh, watching this television show, maybe instead of spending time with us. But you know, the thing is, you uh, wouldn't have learned about those things without us. Probably not. You need us. You need us, baby. Come on, admit it.